Today's Cloudcast is sponsored by Datadog, a modern full-stack monitoring platform for cloud infrastructure, applications, and log metrics all in one place. Use Datadog's customizable dashboards to monitor, correlate, visualize, and alert on data from devices and cloud backends to have full visibility into performance. Datadog breaks down the silos within an organization's teams and removes blind spots that could cause potential downtime. With over 350 integrations, Datadog makes it easy for teams to collaborate together and monitor every layer of their stack within a single platform. So try Datadog for yourself with a free 14-day trial, and you'll receive a complimentary t-shirt. Just go to datadog.com cloudcast. That's datadog.com cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everyone is doing well uh, here in the United States. Uh, we're just coming back uh, from a bit of a break and kind of in the middle of summer and trying to both stay safe and stay cool all at the same time. We're going to uh, jump right into Cloud News of the Week. We have a number of acquisition stories this week, as well as a little bit of serverless news as well. For our first story, we have an acquisition recently by ServiceNow. ServiceNow picked up Sweagle. Now, I wasn't familiar with them, but went and did some digging on them. A uh, smaller company, about 15 employees or so, and uh, based out of Belgium. But their niche was configuration management and more specifically um, DevOps related. And, and so ServiceNow is a good pickup for them. Add this into the portfolio. There is also a little bit of, uh, just like everything else, it seems like a little bit of machine learning uh, thrown into this as well. Should be a good acquisition for them and looking forward to seeing what uh, comes out of that. And moving on to our second story, Salesforce. Salesforce uh, has a serverless announcement. Salesforce has released uh, Salesforce Functions, which, uh, of course, is exactly what it sounds like. It is serverless functions running on top of Salesforce and able to utilize the infrastructure and the data within Salesforce. So if you um, are interested in that and of building apps on the Salesforce platforms, then now you have a new uh, tool in the tool bag going forward. Um, they also, in addition to that, introduced Code Builder, uh, which is a web-based IDE. So uh, really building out the tool set here um, to uh, further enhance all of the offerings Salesforce has had over the years. Our third story is actually not an acquisition. This is about uh, AWS, and AWS did an announcement a couple weeks ago now, but uh, we didn't cover it because of the holiday break. They announced Honeycode, a uh, fully managed service uh, that is a low-code, no-code application builder. And of course, we've seen here on the show a, a decent increase in this space in the last couple of years, and a lot of interest in this, and also... Um, some of the interest probably stems from just, quite frankly, at times, maybe a shortage of developers and, and how can folks just kick the tires and, and get going a lot faster. And so, you know, you're seeing this AWS mantra come out again of this this constant reduction of friction and how can they get people into the ecosystem and lower the bar, excuse me, lower the bar to entry as quickly as possible. So looking forward uh, to getting more information on that here in the near future. 
And finally, closing out uh, Catchpoint. Catchpoint did uh, an SRE report. Now, what's interesting about this is um, the SRE report, uh, they actually collected a bunch of data back in February. And of course, uh, with uh, coronavirus and and the global pandemic, uh, they decided to then collect another set of data in May uh, of this year. So you get a before and after snapshot of this, of, of how is working remotely affecting SREs globally. Um, really, really interesting data, and I really like their use of using both the before and after data as well. So if that's of interest to you, um, this and of course all the other stories, the links are in the show notes. We have a really interesting interview coming up today, and it's the last in an artificial intelligence series I've been recording here over the last couple of weeks. We have MoveWorks coming up to talk about AI for IT support. Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you transitioning your team to work from home? Are you managing a gazillion SSH keys, database passwords, and Kubernetes certs? Well, meet StrongDM. Manage and audit access to servers, databases, and Kubernetes clusters, no matter where your employees are. StrongDM, you can easily extend your identity provider to manage infrastructure access, automate onboarding and offboarding, and move people within roles. You can even grant temporary access that automatically expires to on-call teams. Your admins will get full auditability into anything anybody does, when they connect, what queries they run, and what commands are typed. This means full visibility into everything. For SSH, RDP, and Kubernetes, this means video replays. For databases, it's a single unified query log across all database management systems. StrongDM is used by companies like Hearst, Peloton, Betterment, Greenhouse, and SoFi to manage access. It's more control and less hassle. That's StrongDM. Manage and audit remote access to infrastructure. Start your free 14-day trial today at strongdm.com cloudcast. And we're back. Um, this week we have, um, a, again, a, a little bit in the AI and ML space, uh, an area we've been exploring a little bit in recent weeks. And we want to get into um, natural, excuse me, natural language understanding, or NLU in particular. And for that, we've got Vibhav Navargi, CTO and founder at MoveWorks. Vibhav, welcome to the show. And tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what got you started in this AI space. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So I am one of the founders and CTO at MoveWorks. A little bit about MoveWorks itself. So we are about four years old as a company based in Mountain View, California. And we have been incredibly fortunate to have partnered with some of the top VCs in the world, like uh, Kleiner Perkins, Iconic, Lightspeed, Bain, and have raised over $108 million so far. What we do at MoveWorks and what we have built is a product that lets employees inside large companies Uh, companies like Western Digital and Broadcom and Nutanix and dozens of others, household names all over the world, uh, have their employees uh, use natural language to communicate with MoveWorks and have MoveWorks autonomously and instantaneously resolve IT tickets. If you've been inside a big company, um, at least when we used to go to the office in the good old days, uh, people had a few options, right? They could go up to an IT help desk kiosk, they could call a number, they could send an email, or they could go to a portal. And uh, that experience usually is, is, is pretty slow. Uh, from our experience, having analyzed over 75 million IT tickets now, we have seen that uh, average resolution times can be up to three days. And that, if you have a billion knowledge workers worldwide, is just a huge drag on productivity. So when my co-founders and I got together four years ago, uh, we had this vision of using the latest in, uh, in artificial intelligence and natural language understanding 
to understand not just syntactical elements of language, but the semantics of IT-specific enterprise language, and then connect it to either automation that IT teams have been building over the years, or have automation that we build to take uh, to take these tickets all the way through completion in a minute or less compared to three days. So that's what that's what we've been focused on. We have hundreds of thousands of employees across our customer base use MoveWorks every week now, and on any given week, we resolve between thirty to forty percent of all employee reported tickets inside these companies. In terms of my journey itself, it's been somewhat unconventional. I got my start uh, working on the very low levels of the system stack. So around 15, 16 years ago, back in India, I was hacking on the Linux kernel and getting it to scale on NUMA processors and SGI supercomputers and using scientific workloads and uh, genomic sequencing and other kinds of really complex and heavy processing to run efficiently on these computers. I worked on storage systems and InfiniBand and gigabit uh, Ethernet drivers and so on. That led me to Stanford, where I got my first taste at machine learning, uh, which was actually the, the classical machine learning because deep learning renaissance hadn't really come back then. Uh, but it built in me an appreciation of using data training models to generalize uh, the, these really complex algorithms based on what you have seen to what you haven't seen. Uh, I also specialized in distributed systems and databases, which led me to join Astrodata. Uh, a startup which was formed on Stanford campus, and I joined them as an early employee. And currently, if if you have to store large amounts of data, all you have to do is go to AWS or go to Google, and you can sign up for Redshift or you can sign up for BigQuery, and you're done in seconds. But 15 years ago, it was pretty hard, and we had to solve a bunch of nerdy problems in getting databases to scale, to ingest data quickly, to organize it, and get our customers to run complex workloads, things like fraud detection and uh, customer optimization and uh, we use MapReduce and columnar storage, and that uh, formative experience helped me in starting my first company, which was Clear Story Data, in the data visualization and analytics space, uh, which focused also on machine learning for large enterprises and helping line of business users introspect their data and derive insights from it. So my journey has been sort of from the data infrastructure, uh, big data side, to understand and appreciate what data can give you, which led my co-founders and I to come together and start MoveWorks. Nice, nice. And that, so I have a couple different paths I'm going to go in from there, but but let's continue along the AIML path and mm-hmm. explore this this concept of natural learning understanding or NLU a little bit. And and as I understand it, and you tell me if that is correct, but it, it really is you know exactly what it says, which is instead of, uh, I'll use the term talking, or mm-hmm. interacting with the AIML in, in maybe its language, if you will, it's more na- natural language. And it is more in the lines of like chatbots or some of these other things. And I almost hesitate to use the term, but it's almost like a, you know, dumbing down of the interface, if you will, into <laughs> something that everyone can use. Because AIML is, is a lot of times seen as a, you know, a uh, not quite as approachable concept in you know the infrastructure sure. world as a lot of the others. So tell everyone a little bit about NLU. Yeah, that's a great question, and and it is it is useful to think about this as an umbrella of topics. So natural language understanding is definitely a part of the larger AI and machine learning umbrella, and is related but different compared to natural language processing. Uh, which talks about getting computers to to parse and work with language, but it's more statistical in nature. And it has uh, natural language processing has more to deal with um, parts of speech and understanding uh, relatively simpler structures around information retrieval. So understanding keywords and entities and things like that. 
Where natural language understanding comes in is it's more complicated than that. And that has to deal with computers and machines understanding, comprehending language. And that sort of is illustrated by an example. So uh, let's say you're building like a simple chatbot, given that's a very common manifestation that people think about. Uh, natural language processing has to deal with an utterance like, I need, I need some pizza. And you have a bot that understands that what does pizza mean and what does I need mean? It's relatively simple. But natural language understanding has to deal with a language like, I am hungry, and making the connection that, okay, you need food, you need some pizza, which is a slightly different uh, conversation to have. And similarly, in our world, given we deal with IT tickets, if you see something like, my window is frozen. So comprehending that means that, okay, most likely you're running an application on your desktop. You need to figure out which application that is and why that may be causing a problem and helping an employee troubleshoot that problem. Or if somebody says, sorry, I dropped my laptop. I don't know what to do. You can understand that it has laptop and uh, who the person is, and that's where processing stops. But then understanding means, okay, that means your productivity is going to get impaired. So maybe our, our bot says, here's a laptop form that you can fill out to get a new laptop. So in that way, NLU is a subset of NLP, but it's a much harder problem. And it, it has to deal with really the versatility, ambiguity of language. Uh, there is uh, there's a lot of assumptions around context and metadata uh, when these models get built and trained. And it comes up in domains like question answering, in language translation, in things like text summarization or common sense reasoning. Uh, and it, this, this domain has seen a huge improvement in the last couple of years, uh, thanks uh, in a large part due to innovations in deep learning and uh, things like word embeddings, which assign mathematical weights to words and sentence embeddings and topic embeddings and things like that, as well as large companies like Google, Microsoft, Facebook, um, which have the infrastructure and the massive corpora of data to train things like BERT and GPT-2 and ExcelNet. And these large models give a baseline for companies um, like MoveWorks and others to train more sophisticated natural language understanding models towards resolving employee tickets. And it's funny. So I, I'm not even sure if I've even ever said this on the, on the podcast because it goes back that far. But when I was in college, I actually was mm -hmm. a co-op for IBM. I would alternate uh, computer science classes and working at IBM. And when I worked at IBM, I was actually doing tech support. Um, oh, interesting. And, and so, I mean, you know, I'm not going to date myself on what years I was actually doing <laughs> this, but let's just say it was a long time ago. And it was funny because, you know, thinking back, you could, uh, you know, probably half the tickets that, you know, if they called, they were unhappy. And then if they did, it was like, well, the computer's broken. Okay. Well, what, well, what does that mean? Tell me what you, you know, tell me what you mean when you say it's broken, right? Like what's, are That's you right. getting an error message? Is it not turned it on? And you would have to, in your head, mentally go through, go through all of these decision trees and have to interpret a simple statement of my computer's broken, um, yep. and turn it into something else. And, you know, and, and, uh, kind of an unsolicited plug as well. Yeah, in my day job, I am a customer of, of MoveWorks, and I, I've actually uh, you know used used it quite a number of times uh, through a, a Slack interface, and it actually it's really really cool because it is to your point, it is able to kind of do a certain amount of interpretation, and and so is that you know probably the primary use cases is it. Is it like the low-hanging fruit, uh, you know, and trying to integrate into Slack and Teams, or, or, you know, is it trying to, you know, go even further and kind of go higher and higher up the stack? Like, tell me a little bit about the goals that it's trying to achieve. 
That's a great question. And I especially appreciate the, the context that you shared around IBM and the tech support thing, because it resonates very deeply with me and with us. And the way that you phrased it is, is exactly how employees express IT tickets. They use symptomatic language. They say, my computer is broken. Or they say, my VPN connection is dropping. Or they say something like, this application is crashing. But the underlying root cause for some of these problems could be one of like dozens of different root causes. And that's where you need agents. You need human understanding. You need uh, comprehension to say, okay, this is where you start. Now, what are the other surrounding contextual elements to this problem? And that's indeed where MoveWorks comes in. Now, beyond a certain point, you do need human understanding. If someone says, my, my, I have, I'm seeing this weird packet loss in my connection to this data center, that does require an expert who understands what's going on with the network. Or if someone says, my Cisco VPN connection is crashing, here's a log file. Being able to take that and go to the level two, level three uh, side of things is where you still need agents to come in. And that's where MoveWorks happily delegates to agents with additional context about who the user is, what they're saying, what all they have tried, whether a knowledge article helped them, whether some remediation steps help them or not. So that's definitely a case where we see uh, a manifestation with tools like Slack and tools like Teams, given how ubiquitous they are in large enterprises now. And so it, it makes it so easy for an employee to just type out that message versus going to a portal, logging in, filling out a form or uh, waiting on call. And we know how overwhelmed IT teams worldwide are. So that's where this gives them a sideband where they can quickly ask this question, get some help, and move on. That's ultimately the goal of MoveWorks. Nice, nice. And and we have been talking a lot, you know, kind of another theme on the show has been this migration to SaaS-based products, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so what is the model here? Is there a, you know, kind of a central AI that's cloud hosted? Is this private in-house? Um, you know, do you have the concept of like a template AI and you make copies of that and each customer gets their own AI, like tell us a little bit about the the under the covers model of all of this. Yeah, that's a really good question. And we can talk about this for a long time. So I'm going to try and keep this somewhat brief <laughs> because there are, there, are, there are various layers here, right? You're talking about uh, uh, security and performance and compliance and data tenancy, privacy, a lot of concerns going to an architecture like this. But ultimately what it boils down to is some of the models we train are large global models. But there is no sort of one model to rule them all, right? That that is that's a myth. You you do have specialized models and specialized ensembles of models, where models work together and act as a pipeline, one step, one model feeding to the other. So in MoveWorks, we have hundreds and thousands of models running in production, and engineers on my team they train even more models than that. Not all of them make it because their performance may not be there, uh, their accuracy and correctness may not be there. And given we expect employees to get uh, high satisfaction and resolution of these tickets, we only have the models that deliver on expectations of performance, on correctness, and metrics like precision and recall get promoted to production. So with that in in, in that framing, a multi-tenant architecture makes the most sense for a system like MoveWorks. And the models we also train, especially the large ones, they are most efficient to train on, on GPUs. And for that reason, we have also this private infrastructure where we train these models. And these models, some of them can be trained in minutes and hours, others can take days to train. But whenever they are ready, we have an, we have a process where we can promote these models live to production. And we do routinely uh, dozens of model promotions every week. And our customers benefit from that. They don't have to worry about uh, using a toolkit or using some off the shelf open source 
uh, machine learning uh, framework to use their data and then train with it. Because then there's expectation that they are experts in machine learning and they, they have these engineers who can handle that. And we know that this is still an area which is as much a science as it's an art, as you also mentioned. Uh, so that's where we have the expertise and we can give them a service. And our goals and their expectations are in clear alignment. We want our models to perform and we want more tickets to be resolved. And that's what customers want as well. So which is where the multi-tenancy, uh, it, it, it plays a part. But then we also invest a lot in security, in privacy, in compliance. We are ISO 27001 certified. We are working on SOC 2 Type 2 compliance right now. And we have uh, financial institutions. We have security companies, uh, large tech companies as customers on the platform. So the the idea of training it, mm-hmm. um, so let's say, you know, a, a customer has a model that they're, they're currently using. Does that mm-hmm. model take all of the existing customer inputs and continue to train itself? Or is it a matter of almost like a, a CI CD pipeline almost where that model gets, you know, replaced with another model seamlessly? Like, tell me a little bit more yeah. about the, like, you know, day one, a model gets rolled out, but what happens, you know, two weeks from now, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. There is a CI CD process. So there, is, uh, there are academic areas of innovation where there are concepts like active learning and real-time learning where these models can learn incrementally over time. And we do have some tools like that for uh, if there are certain outputs where models just dramatically misbehave, then we can intervene and, and sort of course correct them. But for the most part, there is a complex machine learning model training pipeline where we start with the data. There is an, there's a process of feature engineering and understanding what are the important components of this data that these models should look at. And then there are algorithms and techniques that we use for certain model training. And then there is a process where we evaluate their performance. That's a sort of CICD part of it, but there is ongoing evaluation as well because with machine learning, the world is no longer static, right? Like a a website may be static or a file system may be more or less static. But with machine learning, you have this whole third dimension of uh, users engaging with the model. And language is very fluid and new employees join companies and they chat with the product. And so there is almost always this catch up game that these models have to have to do. So that's a process that, that engineers, machine learning engineers at MoveWorks, they evaluate based on logs. They look at uh, model performance. And if models are drifting, if models are overfitting or if models are peaking in performance, then we have to retrain them, replace them through our sort of machine learning CI CD process. And that's something that we have gotten very good at doing now. And who determines the the success of the models? Is that based off of, say, user feedback and customer satisfaction? Or how do you know a model is successful? Ah, yeah, that's that's a great question as well. And at, at the model level itself, things are very black and white, right? So there are metrics like precision and recall and F1 scores and area under the curve. So you have training data and then you have test data. And then you train the model on training data and then you evaluate on test data. We do have human annotators on staff as well. Uh, who apply expert judgment and labeling to the data. So we know that if a given model in isolation, what its performance is. But MoveWorks as a product is incredibly complex. And there are um, in any, in even the simplest interaction, you could have dozens of models playing a part. So at the end of it, there is a user level uh, metric, if you will. Was MoveWorks able to understand what the user is saying? Was MoveWorks able to take the right action per the expectation of the user? And did an issue get resolved completely or not? So that ultimately is the high mark on which we measure our performance and report back to our customers. So we start with the machine learning metric and layer on top these higher level user expectation metrics and resolution metrics. 
Got you. And so it kind of, I was thinking actually too, the probably one of the, at least for me, maybe our, our listeners as well, one of the most frustrating things in the world for me is, um, uh, you know, you end up in those phone loops in the, like the phone trees and those voice automated <laughs> telephone systems, right? Yeah. Um, you go to call into something and you, you know, it'll say, say something and then it doesn't understand you. And, oh gosh, yep. I'm just, I'm so not a fan of those, right? How do you handle the, I'll just use the term, the user frustration problem. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And there are so many cases where you're on the phone and you are desperately hitting zero saying, let me just talk to a human being right away. <laughs> yes. uh, I, I know, I know. And, and a lot of this was in the era where this technology wasn't as mature. So one is the baseline of maturity with natural language understanding is improving overall. Uh, and then it also depends on the, the sort of design space where these bots and models are working in. And I can't comment on sort of, we, we, I've been in the loop with uh, my internet provider or credit card companies where they say something like one, confirm, and two, deny. And if you say confirm, they are like, sorry, I didn't follow. You have to exactly say one or two. And that is an artifact of how that conversation tree was handcrafted. And most chatbots, if you find on the market right now, they're designed that way. So you have a conversation designer and a bot builder. And they say, if the user says this, then do that. But if they say this, then do something else. And you can see like that's unsustainable, that that can't function. So at Moveworks, four years ago, our first version prototype was built using a similar technology and it fell flat in 20 minutes. Like the users walked away saying, this thing is dumb, it doesn't work. So we had to go back to the drawing board and we said, okay, what? how do humans communicate? And when you and I are, 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 let's say, texting or chatting, there is so much context. There is so much understanding that's built in. And we have tried to replicate that in our conversation engine. It's heavily patented. It looks at who you are, what you are saying, what you've said before, what you have said three, four, 10, 50 sessions ago to try and understand uh, what is the next best action to take. So there is no designer inside Movers. And we also try to minimize frustration Users, when they come to us, they are already frustrated. They have a problem. Their account is locked out. Application is crashing. They don't know where to go for some help. So they're in no mood for chit-chat. They don't want to talk about weather or want, want to talk about restaurants or something else. They just want help and they want to get on with their, uh, with their daily jobs. So that's something that we have biased our design towards. And that's why all of our models are wired with high levels of precision. And if the model is not confident, we let the ticket go by to an IT agent. Because we know there is a there's an agent who can pick up that ticket and we help them by giving them additional context and metadata and categorization. So those tickets also don't bounce around unnecessarily and they see acceleration between 30 to 40 percent. Yeah, and it allows the IT teams to to focus on the the tickets that are the you know the higher level work, if you will. That That's we're, exactly always, right. we're always trying to talk about, you know, in our industry, trying to always remove friction and trying to, you know, get more done. Uh, no, that's perfect. And and with that, we're, we're kind of out of time for this week. Uh, where can everyone find out more about you, about MoveWorks and everything else y'all have going these days? MoveWorks.com. So if you go to our website, you will find more information about the technology. We have a bunch of interesting case studies up uh, with, with, with some of our customers. And I'm on Twitter as well if you want to follow me and follow MoveWorks. Uh, but it was great to chat more about this. This Clearly, we are a bunch who are very, very passionate about IT tickets. Uh, and we really enjoy uh, seeing the impact that MoveWorks has. And thank you so much, Aaron, for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. And on behalf of Brian, who wasn't able to make it this week, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 